right. Good evening, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us. Hopefully tonight will be a help to you. If you're online, thanks for joining us online. Appreciate that as well. Let's go ahead and take our Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'll spare everybody online the song this week. <laughs> I don't know if you guys go back and listen to it, but it'd be quite entertaining, I'm sure. Somebody said to me, uh, I changed octaves and different things one time. So, oh well. I never, I never called myself a professional singer, ever. <laughs> First Corinthians chapter 15. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where we left off last week, was um, really kind of in the middle of the, I guess it's really the beginning of the passage, it's quite a long passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. But uh, I want to go back through um, verse 12. Last week we talked about um, verse 10, by the grace of God I am what I am. We spent a great deal of time on grace and how important grace is and the power of grace and truly what grace represents to all of us and the, the wonderful opportunity that we have to access God through grace. And Paul says, you know, by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. So we read verse 10. Actually, we want to uh, just go ahead and jump down to verse 12, and we're going to read through verse 19 today. Now, we touched on these a couple weeks ago just after missions conference there, but uh, I want to kind of walk through these again if we can. The Bible says this, Now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up. If so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. Ye are yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. One of the, that to me is one of the most uh, devastating verses uh, in this particular passage here. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. Let's have a word of prayer. We'll jump right into this tonight. Father, thank you so much for this day and thank you for all you do for us. Father, we have so much to be grateful for. And Father, as we spend time looking at your resurrection tonight and the resurrection of the dead, Father, help us to understand exactly what you want us to understand tonight through your word. Help us to understand uh, the power that you have and how it touches so many parts of our life. And Father, I just pray that you would help us to uh, be, be so uh, thankful and so uh, passionate about your death, burial, and resurrection. Father, help us to proclaim the word of God tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the resurrection of the dead, okay, was a hot topic in Jesus' day. I don't know if any of you would know that. I don't know if any of you would pick up on that. But there's a group, a, a sect of Judaism, that did not believe that there was a resurrection. Does anybody know what that is? I heard somebody whisper it. 
Sadducees, okay? They didn't believe in a resurrection, so this is a really corny joke. They were sad, you see? Okay, well, that's bad. (laughs) But they, they didn't believe in a resurrection. They also didn't believe in angels or spirits, okay? So they had some serious things, and according to sources, they had, they held explicitly to the Torah. So the first five books of the Bible, if there was no mention of these things in the first five books of the Bible, then they didn't believe it. Okay, it seems that the Pharisees were a little bit more about tradition and adding to those things, which we know, right? But it's the Sadducees were like, you know what? No, whatever the Torah says is what we're going to follow. And so they had a very difficult time with Jesus. And uh, so the Torah had no mention of a re- resurrection. And so they did not believe in one. Um, again, I'm not sure why they didn't believe in spirits or angels. There is some uh, reflection of angels and spirits in the first five books. I don't really know why, I don't really understand, but for purposes of this message, I study why they're, why they're resurrection. So many times in the New Testament, we see Jesus clashing with this group, and mainly around the resurrection, the resurrection of the dead. Jesus pretty succinctly deals with the Sadducees in Matthew chapter 22. So let's go over there just quickly. Matthew chapter 22, we're going to turn a bunch tonight. And I'm, when I say a bunch, I mean a bunch. Okay, so get your fingers all limbered up. Matthew chapter 22, keep your finger there in 1 Corinthians 15. Matthew chapter 22 and verse 31. By the way, if you want to know, watch Jesus handle the Pharisees and the hypocrites, go to Matthew chapter 23. It's like an awesome passage. He's not kind to them, all right? But Matthew chapter 22 and verse 31. Matthew 22 and verse 31. Here, uh, in verse 30, uh, just to give you a little bit of, uh, of context up to this point, the Sadducees come to Jesus and say, hey, there's a man, and um, he marries a woman, and he dies, and then his brother, according to the law, takes her as wife, and he dies, and so on and so forth, for, I believe, seven brethren. In the resurrection, whose wife is she? You know, and Jesus basically says, listen, they don't marry, neither are they given in marriage, but they're as the angels in heaven, verse 30. But 31 says, but as touching the resurrection of the dead, okay? So Jesus knows that the Sadducees don't believe in a resurrection. They come to him saying, hey, whose wife is she in the resurrection? So he uses the opportunity, right? I love it. And he says, but as touching the resurrection, since you brought it up, fellas, have ye not read that which was spoken unto you by God, saying, watch this, I am the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Watch now, God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Oh, hello, this is so good. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. So obviously at this point specifically, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are not on the scene, right? You guys all understand that. They're not on the scene. And so even beforehand, like God is saying, listen, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. After everybody has perished, after everybody has died, so listen, fellas, in the resurrection, that you don't believe that there's a resurrection of the dead, God is not the God of the dead. He is the God of the living. And you can see that these gents were already dead. They were already passed from this physical earth. And so Jesus very succinctly says, listen, you guys are wrong. And the Torah, the first five books, very clearly tell us that. So this is the thought process. This, there is no resurrection of the dead. This is the thought process that predicates 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 
And so there was obviously still a thought process that there was no resurrection of the dead. Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 with me and look at verse 12. Now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some of you that there is no resurrection of the dead? So this was obviously somehow still present in Corinth, in the church at Corinth. Again, we don't know how, we don't know what, but this idea was still going on. And so the Corinthians, though, had already believed that Jesus Christ was risen from the dead. Okay, go back to verse, let's, let's read verse 15, or chapter 15, verse 1 and 2. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you. Watch this. Which also ye received. Watch now. Wherein ye stand. By which also ye are saved. If ye keep in memory what I have preached unto you. Unless ye have believed in vain. So understand that the church at Corinth had already believed that Jesus Christ had risen from the dead. And we see this in the next couple verses. I preached unto you the gospel. Which is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You already believe it. You, so, if you will, uh, Paul has them backed into a corner that they are not getting out of. Listen, guys, you say that Jesus Christ, you believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. How say you that there is no resurrection of the dead? He says this, unless your believing is in vain. Unless your believing is in vain. Now, Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1. The Bible says this. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things, listen, not seen. So if your faith, if your believing is in vain, what does that mean? You don't have faith, right? Can you, are you following my train of thought here? If your believing is in vain, your belief is empty, then you have no faith. You have nothing to place your faith and trust in. And so why? Because they can't see the resurrection of the dead. They can't see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob anymore. They can't see these people that have gone on from before them. So if I can't see it, I don't believe it. So obviously, there are some serious fallacies here. Some serious things that, that Paul is dealing with that Jesus dealt with. Now, Solomon expresses this, that there is vexation that his spirit is going through with all of the physical things that he has. Ecclesiastes chapter 2. I'm not going to take the time to turn there. But understand, Solomon, Ecclesiastes chapter 2, details all of the things that he tried. I tried everything. I tried not withholding myself from absolutely anything. I tried to gain knowledge. I tried to gain this. I tried to do this and that and the other thing. And he said, there was nothing that, was, that would fill this emptiness. It was all vanity. It was just empty. And again, you tie that to Hebrews chapter 11. Okay? That faith is the substance of things. Hope for the evidence of things not seen. So there was nothing that would fill his emptiness. Listen to this. When all we believe in, as a group of people, as a world, when all we believe in is in the physical, present here and now, we live a life of vanity. Okay, I, want, I just want you to stop and think about that. When we live in the present, here and now, 
That's all we believe in. We don't believe in future. We don't believe in the past. Anything is good is coming from them. We just believe in what we can see. Then we live a life of vanity. Emptiness. Just complete and utter. There is no, there is no purpose. We search for fulfillment in the things of this life. We search for fulfillment in trying new things. We search for fulfillment in those things, but we never actually get it. And listen, maybe some of you have tried that. Maybe some of you in your life have tried to searching for some things that you can see, that you can hold in your hand, and you've tried to consume those things upon your lust, but it's just been vanity, it's just been empty. It just can't seem to be fulfilled. So there are all kinds of people that want to live life for right now. They just want to do their own thing. They, they want to uh, live for themselves, but this is emptiness. That will only produce vanity. It will never fulfill. There is a physicist by the name of Dr. Sean Carroll that says that there is no way that there is life after death. It is physically, listen, physics, okay? According to the laws of physics, it is physically impossible to have life after death. He says this, that there are all the particles are made up of physical things. They're physical particles. And he says this, that there are no particles that are, quote, spirit particles. Okay? There are none. There are no, quote, spirit particles. So nothing exists beyond this physical present world. Nothing exists beyond this physical present world. Now, I am a fan of physics. I enjoy physics. I enjoy how things work. I love that. While I am a fan of physics, there is a hole in his theory. A hole in his theory. And this theory does not account for Jesus Christ. This theory does not account for Jesus Christ. This theory does not account that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And Paul is saying, guys, listen... You've already admitted, you already believe, you've already committed yourself to believing that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Listen, and so if Jesus Christ, who was all human, can rise from the dead, then how in the world can you ever possibly say that there is no resurrection of the dead? We believe that Jesus was physically dead for three days physically dead from, for three days, and then three days later, up from the grave, he physically arose with a mighty triumph or his foes. And so, I, I'm sorry, that's a hole. And we believe that, again, we said this several weeks ago, we believe that Jesus Christ was a real man, that he really died. The thing that we need to be sure of is his resurrection. And that's why there's over 500 eyewitnesses we spent time looking at that. Man, listen, the, the path is clear that there is a resurrection of the dead. But you might say, hold on, Pastor Yeomans. He was God, right? I mean, God can do anything. He's all-powerful. And so he was, God can rise again. Well, listen to me. This is, the, this is the awesome thing about this. It is with that same power that God raised up Jesus from the dead that we ourselves are risen from the dead someday. That there will be a resurrection of the dead. Let's go to Romans chapter 6 to prove that to you. Romans chapter 6. 
Romans chapter 6 and verse 4. Romans chapter 6 and verse 4. The Bible says this. Therefore, we are buried with Him by baptism into death. Watch this. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead, how? By the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Verse 5, for if we have been planted together in the likeness of His death, we shall be also in the likeness of His resurrection. Okay, so the same power wherewith Jesus was raised from the dead is the same power wherewith we will be raised from the dead. And so you cannot separate them. You cannot say, okay, well, Jesus was God, and, and so he can rise from the dead, but there is no other resurrection of the dead whatsoever. He was the only exemption. So you might say, Pastor Yeomans, why is the resurrection of the dead so important? I mean, obviously, Paul spends a great deal of time here, and quite honestly, you're spending way too much time here. So why is it so important? You see, it's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Again, just to walk through these very quickly again. If there be no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, verse 14, then our preaching is in vain. Man, what I'm doing up here today, what I did this morning, what I did the week before, and the week before that, and the week before that, and, and people doing it for centuries, is in vain. And your faith is also vain. We are, he continues, it's just vain. We are found as false witnesses of God. So not only is it vain and we don't have anything to stand on, we're a bunch of liars. We're false witnesses. And because we have testified that he raised up Christ, we raised up, if so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is Christ not raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. Ye are yet in your sins. Man, we're still in our sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. There's no resurrection of the dead. There's, there's no, there's nothing else. If in this life we have only hope, only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. What a waste of a life we have. Right? But that's not the case. It is the resurrection of Jesus Christ that is important. But it's not just the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is the resurrection of Jesus Christ that paved the way for all men to be resurrected. Listen, I'll be honest with you. Up until studying this, I thought the resurrection of Christ was the most important thing. And it, and it really is. The death, burial, and resurrection is the most important thing. But right next to that is the resurrection of all of us. You say, why? Why, why is that? The fact that all of us now have the opportunity to be resurrected ties to so many other areas of our doctrine, and I just want to illustrate a few. Okay? So, we've already talked about our faith, that our faith is found in this. Our faith is vain, if not, verses 12 to 19. But it doesn't just stop at our faith in Jesus Christ. So I want you to see, it affects the doctrines of mercy and grace. Without the resurrection of the dead, we have no mercy and we have no grace. Let me help you with this. Look at verse 22 with me. 
I mean, let's actually keep going through, all right? Verse 20. But now is Christ risen from the dead. He is and become the first fruits of them that slept. So he's the beginning. Okay, he's the first one. And he's, this is going to continue on. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. Paul's just again being clear. Watch this, verse 22. For as in Adam all die. Even so, in Christ shall all be made alive. Now you say, hey, Pastor Yeomans, how in the world does this have anything to do with mercy and grace? Hope, just stay, stay awake for me, all right? Follow me through this. This is going to get a little bit heavy. I want you to think about Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve were created in the image of God. They're walking with God in the garden they, have, they can eat of anything they ever want. Listen, they have all kinds of things. They're, they're in paradise. It is spectacular. It is wonderful. There is no death. It is only life. Jesus breathed into them the, the, the breath of life. And so here we have Adam and Eve spending time with God. What did he say, though? Hey, don't eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. For in the day that thou eatest, thou shalt surely what? Die. First time death is mentioned ever in the Bible. And so Satan slithers along, comes up to them, Genesis chapter 3, and says, Yea, hath God said that thou shouldn't eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And Eve says, listen, we shouldn't eat of it, neither should we touch it, lest we die. And so she knows the rules. She, she knows what's going to come. She knows the possibilities is that there will be death. And so Satan, by the way, wisely says, hey, ye shall not surely die, meaning immediately die, which was true. Hey, ye, ye shall not surely die, so why don't you just eat of it? They just take of it. It's, it's good for food. And when she saw it was good for food and desired to, to, uh, to, be, to make one wise, she took of it and ate of it. And the Bible says from that moment, sin entered the world. And death by sin. Sin entered the world. Let's go to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5 and verse 12. Very familiar passage to you. The Bible says this, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. Watch now. And so death passed upon all men. Why? For that all have sinned. Death, drudgery, Pain. I mean, listen, this is just dark, isn't it? Just, it, it, it's black. If I, if I was picturing it in a movie, it would not be bright lights and sunshine and rainbows here. It would be dark and gloomy. Okay, so there's this thing going on. Listen, Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, for the wages of sin is death. Well, remember we talked about the grace of God. The grace is truth that brings about restoration. Verse 23 says, But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So listen, we are all condemned to die. We are all dead in our sins. 
But without the resurrection of the dead, we cannot be made into life. We cannot have the life of Jesus Christ. The, the wages of sin is death. It would stop there. But the gift of God is what? Eternal life. So what did Jesus do? Jesus, in his mercy and in his grace, said, you are dead in your sins, but I have provided mercy and grace. You now have an option at life. If there is no resurrection of the dead, there is no mercy and there is no grace. None. Let me further illustrate. Go to Romans chapter 5 and look at verse 13. We read verse 12. The Bible says this. For until the law, sin was in the world. But sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. But not as the offense, so also, watch, he's the free gift. So there's an offense and there's a free gift. For through, if through the offense of one many be dead, watch now, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man Jesus Christ hath abounded to many. So because of the sin, because of the uh, offense, there's a free gift. It's this balancing act, okay? Verse 16, and not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. Anybody confused yet? Verse 18. Therefore, as by the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one. The free gift came upon all men under justification of life, for as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound, that as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness under eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. In chapter 6 of verse 1, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. I don't know if you can follow this or not, but it's, it's so powerful to me. Listen, there is sin, there is death, but there is grace. Because of the resurrection of the dead, passing from death unto life, the grace of God can be manifest. Without that, we have no grace. We have no mercy because there is no... Res Once we we're sin, we're just dead. Once I cried the first time because I wanted what I wanted, I'm dead. There's no resurrection. Most of you are thinking, well, resurrection of the dead is a physical thing. Well, we're getting there. But it's very spiritual. There's a spiritual thing here where if we don't have the resurrection of the dead, we cannot experience grace and mercy. We don't have salvation. Salvation is obsolete if there is no resurrection of the dead. We cannot be made alive without the resurrection of the dead. We cannot have life and we cannot have it more abundantly. 
Without the resurrection of the dead, we cannot experience the mercy of God from the punishment of sin. The wages of sin is death. Without the resurrection of the dead, we cannot experience the grace of God on top of the mercy of God to have a relationship with Him and live forever. Listen, the resurrection of the dead encompasses far more than just, hey, we're going to rise again someday. It touches something that's very personal to me. That's my salvation. And so Paul very clearly says, listen guys, it is, there, there is a resurrection of the dead. I want to read another bit of a passage for you. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, in verse 1. I'm trying to make this as interesting as possible, so if you're falling asleep, I'm sorry. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1. The Bible says this. And you hath he quickened, okay, made alive, watch, who were dead in trespass. That's the resurrection of the dead. He made you alive who was dead in your trespasses and sins. Where in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we were all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others, but God, woo, who is rich in mercy. For his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us, hath risen us together with Christ. By grace are ye saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Why? That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Man, <laughs> the resurrection of the dead is so important. Without it, we have no mercy, we have no grace, we have no salvation. Jesus Christ's resurrection without the resurrection of the dead is just a fairy tale story, a nice anecdote. Maybe it happened, maybe it didn't. Without the resurrection of the dead, it matters nothing because it doesn't do anything for us. Do you realize that? Without the resurrection of the dead, Jesus Christ's resurrection means nothing. And so we believe that there is the resurrection of the dead, but Christ was, again, just the beginning. I read, um, actually jump over to verse 23 in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, sorry. 1 Corinthians 15, look at verse 23. But every man in his own order, Christ the first fruits. Afterward, they that are Christ's at his coming. <laughs> so Christ was just the beginning. We read in Romans chapter 8 that he was just, he was the first fruits of many brethren. Here in this passage, he's the first fruit of them which slept. Listen, Jesus Christ was just the beginning. And from then on, men and women were taken from death by the mercy of God freed and by the grace of God given life. Without the resurrection of the dead we have no grace and we have no mercy. But number two, without the resurrection of the dead we do not have everlasting life. 
You say, Pastor Owens, that's kind of obvious. Like, if there's no resurrection of the dead, then there is no everlasting life. Listen, that's a big deal. If you say to me there is no everlasting life, then what am I doing? Let's look at verse 24 with me. The Bible says, Then cometh the end, when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign, watch, till he hath put all enemies under his feet. This is important, watch. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. For he hath put all things under his feet. But when he saith all things are put under him, it is manifest that he is accepted, which did put all things under him. And when all things shall be subdued under him, then shall the Son also himself be subject unto him that put all things under him, that God may be all in all. Man, there's a lot here. Okay, let's, let's go through. John 3.16. We're going to go to John, the book of John. John 3.16. Most of you will know it's John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not, what? Perish but have everlasting life. The whole reason Jesus came was so that we don't have to stay in death, but we get to pass from death unto life. But look at verse 36 of John chapter 3. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth on uh, not the Son shall not see what? Life. But the wrath of God abideth on him. Whoa. Again, that's scary business. So understand that if you believe in Jesus Christ, you will be passed from death unto life. If you do not, you are dead in your sins and you will experience the wrath of God. John chapter 5 and verse 24. The Bible says this, God, oh, that's chapter 4 and verse 24, 5 and verse 24. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Folks, that's the resurrection of the dead. Super important to our doctrine. John chapter 6 and verse 40. The Bible says this, and this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life. Watch this, and I will raise him up at the last day. There's a resurrection of Jesus' own words. Jesus, who cannot lie. Resurrection of the dead. Look at verse 47. Verily, verily, I say unto you, who that believeth on me, just plain and simple, hath everlasting life. Listen to me. Without the resurrection of the dead, there is no everlasting life. Again, you may think that sounds obvious, and it does. But there is no everlasting life. By the way, this is connected to the power of God. If there is, listen, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then you believe that God is not all-powerful. You say, Pastor Owens, how in the world can you say that? Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Verse 28. Actually, look at verse 26. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. Now jump to verse 28. 
And when all things shall be subdued or defeated unto him, then shall the Son also himself be subject unto him that put all things under him. Why? That God may be all in all. So listen to me. If there is no everlasting life, then God has not subdued everything. God has not brought all things under his feet. God has not, God is not all powerful. God cannot control death. Death is still out there. Wow. And so if there is no resurrection of the dead, there is no everlasting life. Why? Because God could not conquer death. This, this, am I, is, are you following me? Are you, is this, I'm just kind of getting blank stares, so I hope you're understanding. If there is no everlasting life, it is be only because there is only, let me put it this way, there is only everlasting life because there is no death. That's obvious, that's logical. And there is only no death because Jesus and God have conquered it. They've conquered it. And so if you don't believe in the resurrection of the dead, you don't believe in everlasting life, which means you don't believe that God is all, all powerful. You believe that there's something more powerful than him. By the way, at the end of this chapter, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, but thanks be to God. Give us all the victory. Listen, wow, this is powerful. If there's no resurrection, there can be no everlasting life. In order for everlasting life to be present, somebody has to conquer death. Jesus did just that. Let's spend some time there. Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. And verse 17. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 17. This is awesome. The Bible says, John, this is John speaking, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore, amen, and have the keys of hell and death. Man. Jesus Christ now holds the keys. You don't hold the keys unless you're the owner. You don't hold the keys unless somebody has given you permission to hold the keys. Jesus Christ has conquered death and hell. We don't have to worry about it anymore. Go to Revelation chapter 20, verse 12. Revelation chapter 20 and verse 12. The Bible says this, and I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were open, and another book was opened, which is the book of, interestingly named, the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things that were writ written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell were delivered up, delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man, according to their works. Watch this now. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. 
This is the second death. Oh, this is sad. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Listen, as I look across this room, and maybe you're listening online, I don't know where you're at tonight, but I want you to understand this. If your name is not written in the book of life, the Bible says that you are still dead in your trespasses and sins. You have not known Jesus Christ. You do not have Jesus Christ. You do not have life. And so what's going to happen someday is that we're going to be cast into the lake of fire. We will be there for eternity. We will never get out of that. Ever. It is for eternity. But if you will just simply accept, listen, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ already conquered death. Jesus Christ already conquered hell. We don't have to be cast into the lake of fire anymore. Jesus Christ is already holding the keys. Pass from death unto life. Get rid of your sin through Jesus Christ and come to everlasting life. Please. Because without it, you will spend eternity in a lake of fire where there is burning gnashing of teeth, worms that die not. But there is life, everlasting life in heaven with Jesus, where there are streets of gold. If you will just believe in Jesus Christ. Listen, if you do not believe in the resurrection of the dead, there is no everlasting life. The resurrection of the dead allows for eternally dead sinners to be saints for everlasting life. Man, which in turn is tied to, listen, if you have no everlasting life, guess what you don't have? You have no hope. No hope. So it's tied to our hope. Let's spend a little bit of time here. Acts chapter 23. Acts chapter 23. And verse 6. Acts chapter 23. And verse 6. Acts chapter 23 and verse 6. Now Paul is having a little battle with the Sadducees. The Bible says, But when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Men and brethren, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee. Watch. Of the hope and resurrection of the dead, I am called in question. Now we under... If contextually, Paul is... In a, in a bad way. He's in front of these guys and they're wanting to tear him apart from both sides. And so he starts to play the crowd, if you will. He knows that the Pharisees and the Sadducees, though they agree on what, where Paul should be, they don't agree in doctrine. And so he says, listen, gentlemen, I have the hope of the resurrection of the dead. Hope. Acts chapter 24, look at verse 15. The Bible says this, and have hope toward God, which they themselves also allow that there shall be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust. There's a hope. There's a hope in the resurrection of the dead. Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2 and verse 13. 
Titus chapter 2 and verse 13, the Bible says this, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. Paul saying to Titus, listen, we're all looking for that blessed hope. Again, I think this is fairly clear, but if there is no resurrection of the dead, we have no hope. None. Zilch, nada. If we can't look past our present world, we have no hope. And we are, as verse 19 tells us of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we, if we don't have any hope, we are of all men most miserable miserable we are just dead in our sins we are just a clump of cells that walks around on this earth we are nothing we have no hope of a resurrection we have no hope of being any better than this what is the point listen i don't don't know what anybody's going through here today but listen there is a point there is hope There is Jesus Christ who passed us from death unto life. The resurrection of the dead ties into so much of our doctrine. It is the reason that we can have grace and mercy. Man, I am so thankful for the grace and mercy of God. It is the reason that I can hope in the everlasting life, in eternal life. I get that hope every single morning. His mercies are new every morning. Simply because of a weird doctrine in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 called the resurrection of the dead. Powerful. Now, please, just give me just a minute to tie all this together. We go to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 and verse 20. Romans chapter 8 and verse 20. The Bible says this. Now again, you're going to have to pay attention with me. Romans chapter 8 and verse 20, the Bible says this. For the creature was made subject to vanity. Not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope. Here's the balancing act again. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, watch, waiting for the adoption To wit, the redemption of our body. We're waiting for that time when we can be out of here. For we are saved by hope. Watch this. But hope that is seen is not hope. Oh, man. Hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope... For that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. Listen to me. 
and we could, I could spend a long, long time. I've already gone 48 minutes. I'm sorry. I could spend so much time here. But listen, if you can see it, there's no hope. Remember, it's vanity. It's emptiness. But if we can't see it and we, we have faith in it and we hope in it, guess what? We wait for it patiently. There is coming a day. There is coming a day, and we're going to talk about this through the rest of the chapter, so I don't want to get ahead of myself. But there is coming a day that I hope in and that I look for and that I'm just waiting for that sound of that trumpet when Jesus comes and we are caught up together with Him in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Listen, I can't see that. I have no idea when it's coming. No man knoweth the day nor the hour. But if I can see it, then it's not faith. And if I can see it, it's not hope. And so if we believe in hope in physically, in, in physical, and it can be seen that it is not hope, it is just vanity, it is all emptiness. So listen, there is something greater than what is here and now. Something far greater. There is something more fulfilling than just being a clump of cells walking around on this earth, just being a human. It is the relationship that you can have with Jesus. You say, Pastor Yeomans, we talk about the relationships with Jesus and how wonderful it is. Listen, it is far more deep and all-consuming than just, oh, I get to talk to Jesus every day. Than this mystical little fairy tale that most people think it is. Listen, it is everything. Everything. Jesus brings us life. He brings us abundant, everlasting life, not only in this world, but in the world to come. So don't let the unbelieving, faithless talk you out of believing in the resurrection. The resurrection of the dead ties into so much more. We're going to talk about more. The chapter's nowhere even close to over. But listen, it touches so much. So much. And so Paul says, if Christ is risen, then so will we. You cannot tie, untie the two. They are so closely tied. Thank God for the resurrection of the dead. Thank God for his grace and mercy and for everlasting life and for the hope that we have in it. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you so much for all you do for us. Father, if there's one here today that does not know you as personal Savior, has not been passed from death unto life, still dead in his sins, Father, then I pray that today they would know. There's one listening online. Father, it may not be today, it may be 10 years down the road, but if they're listening, Father, help them to know the saving knowledge, the resurrecting power of Jesus Christ so that they can experience hope, experience the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ and have a hope of eternal life. Father, please work. Work in our hearts. Help us to share this good news with other people. Father, may your will be accomplished. Thank you. Thank you for the power of your word. Thank you for the power of your resurrection. Father, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.